girls and I'm not ashamed of it. What I already love about tonight, apart from being audible, which has never been <laughs> a sure thing, is that you now have a cast iron excuse to play the Spice Girls and 100%. you've just been exuding <laughs> smugness and joy. And uh, you better bet we'll be talking about the Beckham doco this evening. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. In fact, Crab's been trying to shut down uh, me and her partner Jeremy because we've been backstage going, what about? And she's like, can we just not blow this before we get out on stage? <laughs> By the time she gets on stage, she's going to be limp. She's going to be spent. And there'll be nothing left about <laughs> David Beckham, so I was very stern. Um, luckily then, she had to go and do a nervous pre-show wee, <laughs> and she's wearing a jumpsuit, so it took about 45 minutes. <laughs> it's miraculous that I made it back out it on stage. It is a well done. Yeah. I, I can't even begin to express my relief that both parties on stage can actually speak. <laughs> to bring up to speed, anyone who's not aware, for our recent Perth live show, Crab lost her voice and did the entire thing dressed as Marcel Marceau. But I mean, like, to be fair, I didn't, as you implicitly suggest, lose my voice in order to attend the Perth show. <laughs> Losing my voice preceded the Perth show. It persisted throughout the Perth show and then it maintained its voicelessness significantly after the Perth show. <laughs> so I was incapable of speaking, but yes, I did dress up as a mime and I also did some interpretive dance to a poem, <laughs> um, all of which I thought was pretty decent and also constituted certainly the most organised show we have ever put on. Although I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but one person did ask for their money back. Oh, mate! <laughs> right? So about three days later, we got this email from this lady who said, oh, my God, I don't know if I've ever laughed as hard. It was delightful. It was so cool. She drove two hours to the show. She had purchased tickets for good money that um, advertised two people who were audible. <laughs> and she brought a friend. And when she got there... Only one was audible. It, <laughs> I mean, it was like the worst trip advisor. Like, it was my wedding anniversary, and I've got the red good things about this restaurant, and like, lovely. But I mean, when we got there, good God, 12 it, minutes before we even got a cocktail. It made me so happy the email that I was like, please give that person their money. I would have given them extra money because it just made me so happy. Because we had actually raised, what if somebody asks for a refund because you can't speak? Um, and so That when, was canvassed by Captain Anxious here. So when, <laughs> on her spreadsheet of doom. So, so when one person actually did ask for their money back, it really thrilled oh God, me, actually. It was such a good moment. <laughs> and I, I almost sent a reply saying... Look, I'm not sure if you read the fine print about my mime surcharge. <laughs> also, I fucking did a somersault on stage whilst acting out the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot whilst wearing a silver spangly outfit, having done a quick change from the minor... I mean, like... I really put in to that I show. thought you I, – look, I thought you delivered value for money. Somebody in the audience also uh, – so my number one moment of joy was the person asking for a refund. My number two moment of joy was that somebody in the, in the, somebody in the audience – 
because the somersault came out of nowhere, but someone took Not the shot. Not from me. Like, I mean, I knew it was coming. <laughs> so, somebody managed to get a shot of just crabs upended ass in the air mid-somersault. So that was my other favourite moment, which was captured for yeah, posterity. it was like that guy that camped out for months to photograph the snow leopard for like one <laughs> second. I'd be like, imagine right. the payoff. Don't you Melburnians be thinking you're going to be getting a shot of her upended ass tonight because that was a special for the West Australians. Although we've put in for this one, like there's some good stuff coming up on this there show. Is. Actually, there's some good stuff coming up in the foyer as well. Now, I flew down today with Gwen Blake, merchandise queen. I'm sure Round some of, applause. of you would have met her outside. And when we went to check our bag in, she got slapped with one of those heavy bag things because the bag was full of poo drops. Now, Gwen Does anybody said, need an explanation? I mean... <laughs> Gwen, I said, Gwen was very excited because she's like, oh, I haven't had the poo drops in Melbourne before. It's the first time they're on sale in Melbourne. And so... <laughs> I mean, she's a busy lady, but she's not too busy to be excited by... Small triumphs. <laughs> so, Gwen, so Gwen and I were then, Gwen was like, oh, you know, finally Melbourne, uh, poos have been stinking up the place and now poo drops will be available. Famous for it. Anyway, so what she hatched this plan, which I'm to let you know about, which is in the ladies' toilets on floor five, the second stall to the left, there is a jar of poo drops. So <laughs> should you need to relieve yourself mid-show, if you go into that second stall from the left... That's where it is. Everyone that is except Lisa Miller because she carries hers with her everywhere she goes. And have we settled the dispute about whether it's pre or post, like application? Well, still interestingly, I'm, I'm the originals are post and the ones that Gwen's got are pre. Um, and so you plock, so just for anyone that goes up to They're the second stall on the left. They're a prophylactic poo drop. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um, also, actually, hang on, this is a great moment to acknowledge our charity in Melbourne, which is the bum unit. <laughs> And has always been the bum unit. Has always been the bum, bum unit. unit. Um, give us a yell if you're a paediatrician in the audience tonight. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's some of the bum but unit But are people. you all bum-related paediatricians or is that just a... No, they're, like... they're all sorts, right? Yep. So they're Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Look forward to been... more one-sided conversations. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone wants to ask about the actual efficacy of poo drops, there are people in the room that could probably assist with all of your poo drop related inquiries tonight. Um, Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, we always support um, out of this show. And so it's wonderful to have some of them in the audience here tonight with us. Love a doctor that looks after the bum because it's not the glamour job, is it, that everyone's like, am I going to be on ER? Like, no, you're not. We had the most amazing story on Australian Story this week, actually. I don't know if anyone saw it about Fiona McDonald, who used to be on television and motor neurone disease. And the doctor who was in that story, who's a guy named Dominique Rowe, who's at Macquarie University, honestly, what a heroic person um, who his care and how he engaged with people he was saying I forget the exact number but I did a radio interview with him this week and he said something like in the past x number of years he's treated 1035 people so you can imagine you can remember the exact number of people he's treated but not even a ballpark of the number of years uh, well, I, I don't know that he is or the exact number of people that he's treated. Oh, yeah. So why'd you go 1,035? Because it was 1,000 and something, but I can't... And think. you just went 35, like, I just bang. pulled out 35. It was 1,000 and blah, blah, blah. Um, and now Sounds you're going to regret... though. You're going to regret interrupting me because it's a really sad statistic. <laughs> that happens more often than you'd think. Uh, he treated 1,000 and however many people and, and of that number of people, like, 1,000 were dead. Like, every patient that he treats dies. And so um, it's obvious very difficult work because you don't ever have 
a good news story on the other side of it. Anyway, he was just so amazing the way that he dealt with his patients. And when I put a post about him on our on my social media, it was full of people going, he looked after my mum. He, he was absolutely fantastic. So, yes, our doctors, our nurses, all our medical people do an absolutely extraordinary job. And... I would, as predicted, absolutely like to apologise for my flippancy. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I've literally been in the hands of a medical professional today as well. Yes. You know how oh, I normally, you know, when we come to Melbourne to do this show, all of the great places around here that are within reach around South Bank, Gallery, Acme, all the rest, there's often a very quick cultural win to be had. But today, I went and had a laryngeal massage instead, also on St Kilda Road, walking distance. And I am only recently acquainted with the art of laryngeal yeah, massage. So I'm although I do like saying laryngeal massage, <laughs> and I can't promise that I won't say it many more times. So, what exactly do... What part do they massage? Well, not the actual larynx, because that's actually, like... It's... Yeah. Not accessible except, as I recently uncomfortably established, via a camera on a tube that they shove down your nose. <laughs> when I lost my voice and had two days of, you know, lem sip and bed rest and then went, fuck, all right, I still can't talk, um, I went and sought the advice of a fleet of uh, voice-related professionals, um, 100% of whom are chatters, by the way, who knew that... All speeches are chatters. Like, did anyone know that? It's very strange because every single person that I panickedly recruited to my cause um, was like, hi, yeah. No, no, I'm chatter. I'm like, of course you are. Um, and in fact, the laryngeal massagist, um, probably not the correct title, um, Annie up the road, also a chatter. Um, and absolutely hangs out with voice professionals, like proper ones all the time. And essentially, the reason I lost my voice, as I, I think, um, scribbled to you on a piece of butcher's paper in <laughs> Perth, um, I misleadingly said at the time that it was a psychogenic yeah. voice disorder. Bit more complicated than that. It was sort of a stress and grief related thing. And it turns out that I uh, store all of my stress and grief in my neck and my shoulders, and also, I discovered today, my bum. So, uh, all of those bits of me have been palpated very vigorously, and now I'm loose as a goose, people. Really am. But the most interesting thing, apart from finding out how many uh, chatters are voice professionals, is, oh my God, I had no idea how dependent the voice is on how the rest of your body is working. Essentially, I thought I'd damaged my vocal cords. You're giving me the like, ow. No, like, it's no, getting I mean, boring. I'm super it's like that time I was talking about goose eggs in wow. Adelaide and you're you like, shut up. You completely misread my face because I actually find oh, okay. this super Great. interesting. All right. Maybe yeah. I'm just hurt in the past. Um, so, <laughs> I, so essentially, my vocal cords were actually fine. I hadn't like burned them out or like whatever I feared I'd done to them. But because all of the muscles everywhere around them was so tense and my neck was just like a sort of like weird. And um, I went to see this lady called Janet Baker who is um, an opera singer and a psychogenic oh. voice disorder specialist. And she tried this like regressive therapy where I went back to being a child. Very interesting. Um, and 
established that I um, am inaudible because everything was seized up and all these other muscles around my larynx were trying to do the work of the vocal cords and just going, just can't do it. <laughs> everything is so stressed. Mm -hmm. And she'd gone back and watched episodes of Kitchen Cabinet and seen the point at which I reached the point of no return. Isn't that... And she's saying, like, you seem to use your face and neck a lot for expression. And if you're, like, sad and you're trying to, like, put on a brave face, all of those muscles are going... And that's what was happening. So that's fun. I'd suggest but that's your body sending you a very loud signal right. to slow down. And that down is and also what my mum said. Um, and then I'm like... <laughs> And but I'm, I'm on like safe terrain. Sending and... smoke signals going yes. like, yes, mum, I know that my body is telling me that I need to stop, but everything else is telling me that I need to go to Perth and do a live show <laughs> without a voice. Right. And that went fine, right? Like, I mean, that was, I mean, apart from that one lady, everybody seemed okay <laughs> with it. Also, I don't know. So I've got a funny thing to read you that I've been saving for this show. Um, you read it in Barack Obama's voice, though? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so I've always... That was totally John Hamm. You just did John Hamm. <laughs> um, I've, I've been watching something that John Hamm's in recently. What is it? Oh, yeah. uh, Morning Wars. Morning Wars. Yeah, right. Uh, so I'm still enjoying that. I hate myself, but I'm enjoying it. Still. Same. I know. It's tragic, isn't it? So ridiculous, and yet... So I'm often struck by the kindness of, as everyone here, if you're in the Chat 10 Facebook group, you know, would acknowledge it's an incredibly kind group. And I recently put a post on there um, about a lost cat and, and a friend who had lost their cat. And they said to me, look, I'm not asking you to get your Chat 10 group to help find my cat, but I just need some hope. I feel really sad. And it was just flooded with people saying, oh, my cat went missing for six months and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was sad because then... Um, the, we thought the cat had returned, but then it this turned is the out most bizarre it was twist. terrible. And then, so my friend went and picked up the cat and was like, "It's it's the cat. It's Rocket. It's Rocket's back." And then got it home, and then was like, "Wow, Rocket's fat and fluffy." <laughs> and it turned out, took it to the vet to get the chip checked, and it wasn't Rocket. It was just a cat that looked. I know, it was just a cat that looked a lot like Rocket. Anyway, I, I was thinking about the kindness of the group, and then it turned out somebody put a post up. It was a journalist at the ABC who wanted to do a story about kindness. And so they asked people to put in the post all of the acts of kindness that they'd seen in this group. And I recommend if you're ever having a bad day to go and have a look at it because it'll blow your mind. There was just so many stories. There's some of the famous ones from the group, like the, the chatter that received the cabbage leaves. But then there was just ones like someone's laptop got stolen when they were in hospital and they mentioned it in the group and someone had an old laptop and they brought it up and dropped it off for them. There was a the kid who def desperately wanted a Samoy dog for Christmas and their mum said no and then... That's a very shedding dog. <laughs> totally. That's a, that's a double-edged sword, people. And so Kate Pritchard invited the family to come to, come to this thing called Samoids in oh, Sydney and so God. the kid got to hang out with eight million well, Samoids. Well, that's the best ever Samoid. One of my, um, there was someone who left their bag at St. Leonard's train station in Sydney and then a chatter who was on a train a few trains behind got off the train and found it for them. <laughs> Just like absolutely gorgeous stories like that. My, I think probably my all-time favourite, I'm sure some people would remember this one, was a kid with sensory issues who had lost this 
shark, plush shark head that they liked to put on their head when things got overwhelming and they lost it. And another chatter in the group actually had one and posted it. And it, the, the thing that made it was the photo of the woman driving it to the post office. She had it on her head in the oh. car. <laughs> and then they had a shot of the kid at the table, the dinner table with it on. It was just absolutely... Oh, well, that reminds me of when I, like, I had this hairdryer, like this sort of, that I had when I was in year seven like when I was 12 years old and I'd used it my entire adult life and about like, I don't know, eight years ago it gave out. Like it just burned a fuse and there was a burning smell. I'm like, oh, well, that's gone. They don't build things to last anymore, do they? And then I think I posted about it in the group and then Katie Pepper, <laughs> platinum chatter, said I've got one of those in the drawers <laughs> to oh. you and I've got it like, and it still works. It's incredible. It's like the second coming of the stupid hairdryer and like I actually very rarely dry my hair because you should see what happens when I dry this like it's like <laughs> but you know sometimes needs must um also um and the other th fun thing about this show is the Perth show ran completely to time because for the first time ever my contributions were inflexible and pre-recorded. And so Gwen and Lee, after the show, were like, oh, that's amazing, we finished bang on time. And then they're like, wait. I don't wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so, um, um, no, I haven't finished because I was going to say something about the cabbage. So, so no, 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 just going to say, on the cabbage thing, that is a famous story. Jackie Ann, travelling in Maruya, knowing nobody, really sore boobs, breast cancer, infection-y thing. Nurse says, in Maruya Hospital, you need a cabbage. And she says, I don't know anyone around here. I can't get a cabbage. So she popped it on the group. 22 minutes later, somebody delivered a cabbage to her room in the hospital and then took her washing home to do and then brought her breakfast and coffee in the morning. Anyway... The funny thing is, like, oh, God, this is actually already a terrible anecdote because I can't remember the name of the sports person in question. Who is the guy who was, like, oh, pentathlete? Oh, somebody knows. The guy who was, like, um, running out of steam at the end of the race oh, and yeah. his mate came and, like, yeah. yelled at him and, like, get over the line, and he did. And then it was during oh, COVID. I don't know the name. No, I don't Yeah. I do know David Beckham, though, that I'd like Shush. to get to. It. We'll get to that. Anyway, this terrific athlete who won a medal and then there were all of these friendship stories about, you know, helping each other out. And then they came back to Australia and had to be in detention in Darwin, you know, because it was COVID for, like, two weeks or something. And all of these Australians sent him all of these things. And I saw an interview with him recently where he's like, yeah, it was pretty overwhelming. Somebody sent me a cabbage for a reason I will never understand. I'm like, oh, I understand, pal. In fact, I thought we should get him on stage. And then I forgot that idea, but it now strikes me it was a really good idea. We should have done that. So I... Anything else well, cabbage-related? Any very, other cruciform vegetable that, you know... I very I my neatly, voice back and I'm digressing. I very neatly started with the cat thing because I wanted to read a thing about cats and then we got completely diverted. So just pretend that it's a neat segue. So this was a thing that I read the other month and I saved it because I just thought it was so brilliant. It was in Variety, the magazine Variety, and it was in a story about Andrew Lloyd Webber featuring an interview with Andrew okay. Lloyd Webber. I'm laughing already. About the Cats movie. <laughs> Syrian McKellen, yeah, no, drinking milk out of a saucer. That's all I'm going to say. It's just <laughs> like... Yeah. Okay. Great memory. 
Cats was off the scale all wrong, says Lloyd Webber. There wasn't really any understanding of why the music ticked at all. I saw it and I just thought, oh God, no. <laughs> it was the first time in my 70 odd years on this planet that I went out and bought a dog. <laughs> so the one good thing to come out of it is my little Havanese puppy. That little puppy, what puppy? Havanese puppy. What's that? I don't know, some, it kind, sounds of, like a, you some know, kind of puppy. It sounds like a gastric ailment relief. <laughs> that puppy has been a constant companion of Lloyd Webber's during lockdown. They've grown so attached that he's even figured out a way to bring the dog to New York the next time he travels to the city. I wrote off and said I needed him with me at all times because I'm emotionally damaged and I must have this therapy dog, says Lloyd Webber. The airline wrote back and said, can you prove that you really need him? And I said, yes, just see what Hollywood did to my musical cats. <laughs> then the approval came back with a note saying, no doctor's report required. <laughs> wow. When your cat movie is so bad that you absolutely need to have a dog, you know that there's a problem. I just love the idea of the airline getting a letter and going, oh, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> rubber stamped, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> okay, Beckham. I've watched the whole thing, which I binged in, in one day. I fell asleep in the middle of episode three the other day, but not because I was bored, but just because I was really tired. Um, and, oh my God, I love it. Oh, this is the other thing. Now that I breathe through my, um, using my diaphragm. I just wondered what you were doing. No, no, no. I'm just I like, this is an exercise that I have to do. I right. breathe through my diaphragm. <laughs> and it means that I talk like this sometimes. <laughs> and in fact, when my voice came back, it came back only at a lower register. Right. And so I terrified and amused my children by running around saying, Solange. <laughs> Remember that maid's show with Kate Blanchett? I do. And I saw it and kept saying, Solange. I do. For months. Back to David Beckham. And then we actually were at a dinner with Kate Blanchett and I kept saying, Solange. And she just thought that I was and she, crackers. She probably also knows David and Victoria Beckham. No, she does. And she was so polite, but also very freaked out. Can she play soccer? <laughs> She's a character actor. Like, she can conduct an she orchestra. She can do anything. That's right. Her next role is David Beckham. <laughs> I actually would pay money to see that. Yeah, I bet she'd be good. So, um, okay, so many things to talk about with this. Yep. The first of which is it, the sort of director and the guy asking the questions is Fisher Stevens. That's right. Who is in succession. Yeah. He plays also, Hugo. used to be, I think, married to Michelle Pfeiffer. Really? Is that correct or is that like... That is correct, right? Wow. Okay. Oh, Not hang married. on, is that... Technically not married. Oh, okay. but but definitely, like okay, things were inserted into things. Like so. I mean, it was definitely something happened, because <laughs> okay. right, all right. Well. So see me for any further intel. <laughs> he he played Hugo, who's the kind of slimy press secretary for oh. Logan Roy for the yeah, Roy's. Gross. Yeah, um, So that's one bit of trivia. And he has won, previously won the Oscar for Best Documentary for a film called The Cove. Yeah. He's really? a very accomplished... Yeah. And it's about a cove? I mean, as in <laughs> I don't know what sort of a, a harbour-type Well, that's what I assumed about, but I didn't or check. Or the old-fashioned meaning of cove, which is like a, a chap. 
you look into that for us and let us know at the next show. I don't think I will. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, look, I absolutely loved Beckham. I remember talking on the podcast about discovering a love of David Beckham when I listened to him on uh, a podcast which is about the River Cafe in London and Ruthie, who runs it, interviews people that come to the cafe and David Beckham was a very regular customer and I was absolutely shocked to discover that he was an amazing cook and a massive foodie and he was just a very likeable dude who talked about in part what it was like to be married to someone who ate exactly the same thing every day which was steamed fish and steamed vegetables every single day and so you're not up to this episode yet but in Beckham in the final episode they he has like a whole kitchen kind of set up which is almost like his own studio thing I've never seen a cleaner kitchen it looks like no one's ever cooked in it mate I've seen episode one where he talks about how when they have dinner parties he stays up late to completely clean every bit of the kitchen because he can't sleep until it's all tidy. The last thing I've quite erotic. The last thing I've seen <laughs> The last thing I've seen as clean as his kitchen was my father's army boots, which you could see your face in. Like it was extraordinary. And also I'm I'm dying for you to see episode four because it opens with him giving a tour of his wardrobe, which I felt like me and David are spirit animals. <laughs> Well, hang on. He has I just got need a... you to back up the truck <laughs> yeah. and just unpack that statement. Because I have keep a, a roster for my wardrobe for work. Um, and although, unlike David, David lays his clothes for the week out on a rack. I do mine now via photograph <laughs> for Australian Story. It's, now it's, it used to be a six-week roster at 7.30. Now it's a 16-week roster for Australian Story. Well, it's a punishing 15-minute record. So, like, I guess you do have to, like, organise it years in advance. Like, I mean... Exactly. So, um, it's so have you got chat ten? Like, is this jumpsuit been no. on the like good no. jumpsuit? By the way, thank you. No, I just no. But for work, because I don't want to give it as he as David Beckham says, you don't want to use up any mental load having to think about this. And so, anyway, but his oh my god, the wardrobe. I assume some of you have seen it. Oh, it's just absolutely gobsmacking. But it's a very I thought. But is it? I mean, outlandish or just like really colour coordinated? It's. It's large by a normal person's standards, but I would say probably small by a superstar's standards. Right, but it's Uh, not, like, remarkable because it's got, like, meat dresses and things or anything. No, it's just remarkable in the level of organisation. Well, there was the time that he wore that sarong at the worst possible moment. Yes, I saw that in episode two. Do you know what? The word when I was watching the show that came into my mind and I thought, God, I've not heard that word in a long, long time and I feel like he was the pioneer of this word. Metrosexual. Oh, yeah. No one says that anymore, right? Now it's kind of just gender fluid or whatever. But that was... He was one of the kind of dudes who first, you know... And he he didn't pioneer it either because there was Elton and David Bowie and people before that. But, you know, when he showed up wearing a sarong and with his big diamond earrings and his hair... Different haircuts and hair colours and stuff like that. Um, anyway, it's, it's a really fascinating... It's not only a fascinating doco about... I mean, as we all know, I love an inside sport kind of doco, but it's also a bit of a time capsule of that era of him and um, Posh Spice, Victoria Beckham and so forth. One of the things that really stunned me, so, I mean, this is, it's funny that we're back at Hamer Hall, which is where we reenacted Warney's 700th wicket that time, <laughs> memorably. Um, in the first episode of that doco, you see the, like, the goal that, Beckham kicked as a 21-year-old from, yeah, like, midfield. Yeah. Oh, my God, from the centre line. Completely crazy piece of football. Even a person like me who knows nothing about it is like, well, that is quite impressive. (laughs) Um, 
So that was in 96, and then in 98 was when he got red carded in that game against Argentina, and he was just, it was like he was a serial killer. It was Like, what an incredibly short trajectory between, like, national lionising and... The level of hatred complete, was gobsmacking. Yeah, he's, and, and he says in his, like, lovely, mild way, oh, yeah, no, it's quite tough, you know, you walk down the street and people were just gobbing at you, like... Extraordinary. The death threats, that woman who worked on the reception at the at Manchester and they've got the super, like, receptionist, Manchester United, 1968, 2022 or whatever the dates were. Unbelievable. But that, that sequence, when he, when he sort of, you know, is viewed to have cost them their shot at the World Cup, um, it, and Glenn Hoddle, who was the coach of the side, on camera gives this spray basically about how Beckham's let them down and so forth. I couldn't help but be struck in this doco about the difference in coaching style between the coaches that Beckham had versus Phil Jackson at the Chicago And there it is. (laughs) There it is. The snake has begun to consume itself. (laughs) Like... Phil Jackson understood, like, you get the best out of people by... If anyone needs a toilet break and <laughs> to pop out and sample the poo drops, just saying. Second stall on the, the left, time. fifth floor, ladies. Um, Unless you're a chap, in which case, no hurry at all. Phil Jackson made people feel good about themselves and, and didn't govern by fear. He governed by, you know, trying to work out what motivates people and make them feel supported. Whereas, and that's why you always played for him that's and not for Alex that's why, Ferguson. That's why I had a better time in my career at the Bulls than I did with Manchester United. <laughs> Anyway, I loved it. Um, do you want to say anything about it or should I keep going? <laughs> I'm just going to post an interstitial remark that right. amuses me and won't take long, which is that I was in a chemist in an airport the other day with my daughter and we were looking through the range of David Beckham perfumes and just oh. absolutely cacking ourselves because they're just... What are they? Bless him, bless him. They're called things like beyond and... <laughs> Respect <laughs> and refined woods. Oh. <laughs> and bold instinct <laughs> and amber breeze and other things that don't mean anything. And I love it. Also, there's one called Intimately for Men. <laughs> but, like, like, there's so many of them. I could, like, follow your instinct. Wow. Also, bold instinct, which is different from following I didn't know he had just, yeah. such anyway, a perfume range. Classic touch. Oh, there's many of them. They're also competitively priced at, <laughs> at Chemist Warehouse, if I can uh, insert a non-ABC approved plug. I had... Um, you, sorry. Oh, no, one, no. one more tiny, tiny thing, and then I'll let you get back to Phil Jackson. Um, <laughs> in the, I think it's the first episode of the Beckham documentary is my favourite moment so far, which is when Victoria Beckham is talking about her upbringing and she (laughs) says, look, you know, David and I are really similar, like from working class backgrounds. So working class. Just so working working class class. and, you know, and just know the value of hard work and, you know, all of this. And David Beckham, in all his preposterous handsomeness, and honestly, that man is... 40 times as handsome today as he was when he was, like, 22, he's right? always he's been me. beautiful. He's so Yeah, I know, handsome. but, like, seriously, that is a guy who is <laughs> getting... I that was, like, a round of applause, like, oh, yeah, oh, David Beckham. Come on, He is hot ass. I mean... <laughs> just getting handsomer. I mean, which is great. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice if you can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. But... I, but 
<laughs> he just pops his head around the bathroom door. Like, she's being interviewed by, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's ex-boyfriend. And he just, and he hears this and he goes, uh, sorry, so... Be honest, he goes, be honest. Be honest. It's like, what car did your dad drive when you were in primary school? And she goes, well, I mean, you know, fortunes changed over the years. I mean, we were like, you know, struggled. They worked very hard. He's like, what car? And she says... <laughs> Look, you know, I mean, obviously, you know. Yeah. And he's like, and be then, honest, and be honest. Be honest. <laughs> and then she goes, for a period, my dad drove a Rolls Royce. He goes, thank you. <laughs> and then just disappears. The whole it was vibe, the greatest. The whole vibe was like a 7.30 interview where she's yeah. going, well, actually, he's going, no, yeah. be honest. No, be honest. <laughs> no. He just kept shutting I'll it down. I'll repeat my question. Yes or no, Minister. <laughs> exactly. And the great thing was that, like, he's totally owned her in this, you know, interview and they've been married for a hundred years right like so presumably their relationship could be at the point where even <laughs> a chance remark could blow up the entire goddamn <laughs> thing and yet he's totally hazed her and she's like oh that's funny they're, <laughs> they're, like, it was actually a really their great chemistry moment. was great I, like I they seemed great like you'd love to hang out with them they just seemed to have such a nice vibe and their kids turned out great and they just seemed lovely I mean I know you know appearances can be deceiving and so forth but yeah they, I mean like it's a, that's the other thing that we need to discuss it's clearly it's an authorized documentary right yes. like so yeah. I mean and yes I love that exchange because I don't know like it, it made me think oh you're proper humans and I also thought god how weird for her that she wasn't really a wag when she started dating this famous footballer yeah I found that interesting too because you know there's a lot of you know I had two tiny complaints about it and they're just tiny niggles because overall it was fantastic one is I mean because it's a documentary about Victoria about David Beckham this is completely understandable but Victoria it's kind of like you know David Beckham's the son and everything orbits around David Beckham. But actually, Victoria Beckham has been a very successful businesswoman in her own right with a clothing range and also a makeup range. So she wasn't exactly... Unless you were asking fish for their opinions. <laughs> fish? Because she eats them every day. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry. I, I thought you meant they were in the makeup or something. I was like, what? Um, so she... It kind of didn't explore at all that, you know, she is actually quite a, a you know accomplished person who's had multiple successful careers but then I figure like okay fair enough it's a doco about David Beckham not Victoria Beckham my other slight complaint was about the choice of music which was very succession-y for anyone who's watched succession so succession-y relies very I wouldn't be surprised if it's just the same composer I was like it's, when is Kieran Culkin arriving yeah, you know very like heavy so, on the, and they're like I mean I love that it's okay I mean like, very I'm heavy okay on the it, dramatic but strings but the dramatic kind springs of... for her problem with the Beckham documentary. <laughs> That's the most Lee Sales thing I've ever heard. But they really early in episode one, they set up the, the times, which is they're talking about uh, it was a big era in Manchester for music and they sort of rattle through Oasis and various bands and stuff. And so I thought, great, they're going to position this in the kind of culture of the era. So it's going to put you, so you've got that feeling of being in the era. But then despite dropping this kind of, perfect reference to then use the music of the era they then use this kind of orchestral soundtrack which I didn't actually think supported the content of the doco that well so that's my that was my it kept pulling me out of the moment that music so yeah try harder next time Fisher 
Don't rest on your laurels as Michelle Pfeiffer's ex-boyfriend and your one previous Oscar. <laughs> one previous Oscar. That is, I can't even think of a response to that critique because <laughs> it's possibly the most pretentious thing I've ever heard. Two other, <laughs> two other, two other quick, quick, um, not music things, sport things before we move on. One is the Disney Plus doco about the Matildas. Highly recommend. Yes, it. right. It's lovely. Um, yeah. So Jeremy watched all of that and was like, "Come on, it's so good." And I was a bit like, "I am very tired," but I um, am definitely going to watch that because. It's had incredible reviews and yeah. also who doesn't want to relive the magic of that couple of weeks that was only slightly besmirched by that great guy grabbing his own dick and then his <laughs> midfielder, no, forward, you know. Interestingly, the coach, Gustafsson, said this interesting thing. One of the second episodes focused on Katrina Gorey, who's got the um, little baby, and he talks about... But yet has maintained her competitive spirit <laughs> despite being a mum. He talked about how people Amazing. were saying, oh, will it, be a, will it be a distraction having the kids around? And he said, you know what? Having the kids around makes everything better because kids are so present and in the moment and so not overthinking stuff and worrying about stuff, it pushes everyone into the moment all the time so it makes the team play better when the kids are around. Isn't that interesting? That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so also just quickly, I spoke on the podcast recently about a doco called Breakpoint on Netflix, which was about a guy called Marty Fish, who was an elite tennis player. There was a recent article that someone in the Chat 10 group drew my attention to in GQ, and it was a profile of Andy Roddick, um, who was his kind of best buddy of the era. And it's very interesting, because Andy Roddick, who was number one in the world for about three seconds, he just had the great misfortune to come along when Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and... Rafael Nadal all arrived, and so he was number one for three seconds, and then it, they, those dudes just dominated. Should have just tried harder. <laughs> it was this fascinating profile about how much today he's not defined by his glory era in tennis or, you know, any of that or any bitterness around that. To the degree, in the, in the text of the article, they say man, you go to this guy's house, he's using the runners-up plate from the US Open as like a drinks tray, and it's extremely well used and then there's a shot of it it has drink rings and there's a cat walking on it and it is and then the actual winner's trophy from the US Open is like just shoved in the corner of a room and it was it, it was just a really it's interesting totally where I keep mine like I mean, that's... <laughs> it was fascinating and then he he talks about that there's a the site of a particular sports bar that to this day even the site of the sports bar makes him physically ill because it puts him straight back into the headspace of when you had to go out and play on those big games. It's a great, great read. Highly recommended. Wow. Okay. Sales on sport. I just I'm done with sport I, now. I, I That's all my enough. sport content no, for tonight. Good. But like in terms of that question about how you continue from a like a great sporting career that is over by the time you're, you know, in your late twenties or mid-30s if you're lucky. That was something I found interesting about the Beckham documentary too because one of the areas of real tension between Alex Ferguson and David Beckham at Manchester United was that Beckham was starting to like develop a brand and he was like already saying, I want to make sure that I've got something to do when I'm finished with football. Yeah. You know? I want to establish yeah, something. Yeah, he was clever with that. Right? And that's also what Victoria Beckham did too, right? Mm. I mean, they were both... Yeah, they are both very clever yeah. in that regard. Um, I, mean, I, think, it, oh, I mean, I think there's a real tension between 
the support kind of structure around young athletes of any discipline really um, because their interest is for that young person to focus only on what's happening right now, yeah. which is making people around them look good, and they don't have any real investiture in making sure that that person has a, a viable life yeah. after, you know, they peak at their sport. The other thing that was Very kind creepy. of interesting compared to The Last Dance too is how do you deal when you're in a team sport and one person is so much more famous than sure, everybody yeah. else? Yeah. Which is, is and I, I really liked um, Beckham's buddy, what's his name? Um, Gary. Gary. <gasps> so, yeah, he was great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody needs a Gary, right? I Absolutely. mean, I've said that before, just... On the basis he of was the Andrew, Andrew Ridgely of Manchester United. Right. <laughs> For I those mean, who aren't into sport, now yeah. you can ground yourself with that. Okay. All right. Now, speaking of careers too that are over fast, the other thing that I've watched recently that I loved, the supermodels. Did everyone watch that? How good was it? Oh, God, it was so good. Have you watched it yet? I've started watching it. And I started watching it because of your breathy text messages. <laughs> and I haven't, like, got all that far into it, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, I'm just, on board. It's just heaven because, I mean, those women are just so insanely beautiful. And actually that doco does do a good job of putting you back in the era with the use of right. the music and the cultural references and stuff like that. It, it, I've actually cried buckets. Like Linda Evangelista just made me cry and cry and cry because, oh, man, she's had a hard life. And also... She has clearly, I think, more than the others, struggled with ageing and she's had a lot of health issues and the effects of ageing and so forth. And um, She's kind of nuts because she's incredible looking. She's like it's still so beautiful and camera just loves it. But I was thinking, like, God, I know how much I sort of struggle to look in the mirror and go, oh, God, is that what I look like now? And then I think, oh, how much more worse is that when you're Linda Evangelista? It must be just a goddamn nightmare to be having to, you know... I'm loving your transferred trauma from this situation. <laughs> I just think, I don't know. I mean... Anyway, it was, it's a brilliant doco. And also those photographers... you make your living from either being incredibly beautiful for a period of time or being incredibly gifted at sport for a, a period of time, mm. the lesson is, you know, maybe find something else that you're also good at, like to be going on with after mm. that's over. Otherwise, it's a bit... You know, I know. But the thing that, like, in the yeah. in the little bit of the supermodels that I saw, was because you know there was always that like thing about Naomi Campbell where they're like she wouldn't get out of bed for like what was that, that was Linda oh, that was, yeah. yeah but there was like oh she's so difficult she's beautiful but she's difficult and then I think the bits that I've watched make me <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> breathing incorrectly, Slange. Um, make me think, oh, hang on a minute. You just thought she was difficult, she's a black lady. Yeah, it definitely, like, like Monica Lewinsky, when you hear it in contemporary context, you're like, oh, that needs a total rethink, like the way that that person's reputation was established, um, you know, because of the... Mm prejudices of the era and so forth. Interestingly, like those women were all really tired and there's a clip where they talk about Chris, I think, I can't remember if it's Christy, I think Christy and Naomi lived together at a point and Christy and Linda would get book, booked for jobs. They would say, well, we're only coming if you also book Naomi. They didn't, people didn't want to book Naomi and they were like, well, you have to book her or we're not coming. So it's so difficult. Well, just because she was black. They didn't think a black model should, like they didn't want to book a black model. So, and they were like, well, she's either, we're all in or 
we're not coming. How amazing that that is so recently that these women are still, like, not even old and... I know. Far out. But anyway, it's a it's a fantastic doco. Um, I know we've got to like we have to shuffle along. So yeah, we do. I've already like drawn <laughs> everything out, and um, and well, it's actually also your fault because you've gone on and on, <laughs> and we do actually have a guest. We do. <laughs> um, who has had an interesting night already? Um, um, I just wanted to say that um, all of this chat about. Um, about supermodels and, you know, popular culture and stuff makes reminds me of a podcast that I was listening to recently um, called Sentimental Garbage, and it is about... I know why you're clapping, you people. Um, <clears throat> and it's about how um, a lot of things that young women love and get attached to get a bit frowned on and people get shamed out of, you know, still loving. And this podcast um, started off talking about books but then went out into movies and music and stuff and it's like this sort of, okay, well, why, why do we actually like this stuff? And it's so funny and interesting and I listened to one very recently that was about... Um, the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And it's a 52-minute podcast about Girls Just Want to Have Fun, <laughs> which features the host, Caroline Donahue, who's an absurdly accomplished lady who's also, a, you know, detestable. Yes, she's here. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, like, very successful novelist. Go home, Caroline. <laughs> but, like... I love that you can get 52 minutes out of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And my challenge to you, Caroline Donner, stand up, stand up. <laughs> Come on, you Irish wench. <laughs> so I know that there's a bunch of chatters that are um, listeners to this podcast. And I know you've talked about that podcast on our yes. podcast before. Um, but she's here for the Wheeler Centre um, doing a spring fling thing, which is tragically, I think, already sold out. But, like, you should totally just listen to the podcast because that way you get the milk for free, people. Um, but this Girls Just Want to Have Fun um, analysis is so funny. And um, Caroline's offsider <laughs> uses this great line. Tom McInnes is his name, is writer and general clever person, who talks about... Um, the young lady's innate desire for the titular fun of the title. <laughs> and that just made me lose my shit. I laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> and I, my challenge to you, Caroline, is can you do a podcast about the film Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Oh, because yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. Right? Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker, aged, ooh, I'd say 19 oh, max yeah. in that film, looks a bit older than she does today, which is weird. Is it? Is it Helen Hunt? Is Helen Hunt the other girl? Yes, and that is the great thing because Helen Hunt is the punky, rebellious friend. She is mwah, chef's kiss in this really? film. I really like this film, oh. and I. You've seen it recently. I showed it to my teenage daughter oh. recently, and she also 
loved it. <laughs> and it's about Sarah Jessica Parker, who lives with this sort of like militaristic and quite religious dad, doesn't like the dancing. Sarah Jessica Parker lives to dance. She enters a dance competition, but she has to study. She's not allowed out, sneaks out, <clears throat> meets a hot guy wearing a sleeveless singlet kind of thing. <laughs> It's very of the age. And then Who's the guy? Who's the love interest? I can't remember, but he's super cute. Like Can anyone remember who it is? Who's like, I feel like he's a Jason. Is it anyone famous? I don't think, I think it's one of those just cute boys that you never saw again. Okay. But there was definitely just a sleeveless T-shirt vibe. That's all I I remember got. the cover of the video. But and over I to you, Caroline, because, you know, I think that's for you to examine. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're... Gimlet eye would be well applied. Now, our power guest is probably standing in the wings going... I know. When am I going to be invited yes, out? Is. So why don't we invite her out now? Can Celia just... Pecola! Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's you, love. Um, the back, that, because we Hello, assessed everybody. the outfits and we worked out that... You lied to me. You told me you were wearing a red frock. I did, but then I got here <laughs> and I realised it was an orange um, chair. An orange chair? And, well, you I could mean, have told me about the grey chair. I'm humiliated. Come on. <laughs> Am I? Do I clash? Bucks. I don't know. You look fantastic. I don't know. I do suits now. <sighs> right. But that's Is this like... a new thing? Suits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, for a thank God you're here... A little thing. <laughs> Thank you. Tom's in the audience. Hi, Tom. Um, uh, I've never hosted anything before. I mean, uh, in the presence of a great... And it was like, got to make this decision of what to wear because I dressed like a teenage boy um, in my real life and in stand-up and it felt like it needed to sort of step up, you know, and dresses were out because I can't be fucked dealing with shaving oh. my legs. Or, no. So it's the leg issue that's a dress problem. Oh, that's part of it, yeah. And also the heels. When I'm doing stand-up, like, I want to be able to run. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. Um, Have you ever actually fled? No, I've thought about it. I've also thought about fainting. I've been mid-gig and just thought, <laughs> if I just fell down and lay there, how long would it take for everyone to leave? <laughs> I fainted on work experience once because my mum was trying to talk me into being a scientist and I did um, work experience at the Weight Institute, which is a scientific re research Of Jenny Institute. Craig? No, Weight, W-A-I-T-E, named for a famous oh. scientist. Anyway, um, and... <laughs> All right, back up. So you're in the waiting room. You're, it was yeah. the doctors. Okay, science. And they were di dissecting a ram testicle and, like, a ram testicle is From a, a computer. lot bigger so than confused. you would think. <laughs> And I right. fainted. Anyway. You fainted? You. Yeah, I did. Well, I'm just the thought of doing work experience as a scientist is yeah. fucked. It's like, welcome, would you like to try and flick this switch and see what happens? Yeah. Uh-oh, it was nuclear. <laughs> That's right. I also had my period, though, so, like, it was not a good day. Anyway. But like, so, back to your... <laughs> getting into suits. Back to your suits, CPAC. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I have no gear about the suits, but we decided like blazers and a lovely woman <laughs> named Corinda, like bla suits. We were like, okay, suits, but what kind of suits? I don't know. And then Corinda, who's uh, the stylist. And we ended up starting with a pink velvet and gold suit, which well, I, I would described. Pay to see you in that. It was if the dress code was fancy, oh no, sexy couch. That's what it was. <laughs> and there's eight episodes, and when you start at sexy couch, where do you go? So it ended up being. A series of colourful and vibrant um, suits. But this one was made for me. It's E. Nolan, Emily Nolan. It's so cool. You look amazing. And she was it, so cool and I got to go in and wear a blazer. It you massively. You look fantastic. 
I once but, wrote a column thanks. about Bronwyn Bishop when I was working in Parliament and like she'd just been sacked by Malcolm Turnbull and she's on the back bench and she showed up for her first day at the back bench wearing like a, this really aggressive brocade. And I said that... I mean, like, I know what that is, but just in case there's anyone here who <laughs> doesn't... I mean, it was sort of like... Yeah, what is that exactly? Well, like, yeah. fuck yeah! Yeah. <laughs> You're all going to sit here and be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, do you know? what is the brocade? Well, it's, it's like armchair fabric, you know, like it's oh. sort of In my mind, it's like if there's textured. a war and they want to try and stop the opposing force but built it out of brooches. That's what I think a, bro- <laughs> a brocade that's is. The, that's the... I guess just sort of vernacular meaning. You know, no, is it a? Bro- like, it's a. Bl- it's, a it's, it's sort of like textured fabric with like images of like you know horses and things on oh. it. Like it's, it's a bit like jacquard, but a bit Jacquard, like, stop oh, saying God, words that like, I don't know what they are. No, come on. Like, yeah, like there's, there's got like, to be a freaking fabric episode, like expert here somewhere who can say what brocade is. Is anyone Anybody? wearing brocade tonight? <laughs> Is this an intervention to teach me about fashion? No, it's not. It's really not. Don't misinterpret it. But, like, I said in this column that she looked like an angry occasional chair. And then (laughs) the next morning, I got out of the lift at Parliament House and there she was. Like, it was just like this thing where you just write something about someone, you go, (laughs) that's hilarious. And then you're like... Good God. Oh. She's right so what, there. So what did you do? Sit on her? <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> this shows that she's a classy dame. She gave me an incredibly icy smile okay. and she said, thank you for the mention, Annabelle. Mm. <laughs> and I said, you're very welcome. Classy. And then off we popped. It was fine. Very good friends. Oh, um, that's... CPAC, what have you been up to? What have you been up to? You've been up to everything. What have I been up to? It's been a week. I will just say and move on. It's been a week. I'm sure you all know our beautiful um, and talented and most wonderful woman in the world, Cal Wilson, passed away this week. And I hope no one asked for their money back. Like, she spoke, but she wasn't very funny and brought the room down. But I just sort of need to say it before it moves on. So it's been a time in the comedy community. And I love there's already been a cat mentioned because I'm wearing my cat t-shirt in honour because Cal described herself as a cat lady with a husband and a son as camouflage Um, (laughs) and I feel that I'm a cat lady who's never owned a cat Um, so it's it's been a time this week but in general I've been I've been with child Um, I had a kid that was a weird way to say it I had a baby (laughs) a year ago she's 13 months old still living at home (laughs) can you believe it our kids, you kids know, you see, you see horses do it. They're like, plop on your own. I'm like, this kid, needy. So I've been having a kid. So how long have you got? Shall we start at the birth? Is that where we start? Do it. So, got a second degree tear. Thank you. Um, um, so can in I my vagina. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm not can finished. I ask a question I'm start about that. No, 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 no. 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 So I've got a detailed question. Keep going, Celia. Keep going. A second degree tear in my vagina. When the baby, that's where the baby came out from, and I don't mind it. Quite pleased, actually. Because it makes my vagina seem really smart, you know? It's like, got two degrees, didn't even study. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying? Just wanted to do a fact check, which is... <laughs> oh, yeah. Did your partner do a, like, announcement, and was the word vaginally used? Oh, no. 
<laughs> he was looking and he told me later that he saw that the baby's head was, they go real pointy apparently when it's coming out. Oh, yeah. And he freaked out, but he looked at all the medical professionals and they seemed calm. <laughs> so he was like, I guess that's normal. <laughs> and that's fine. But what was, he's a professional photo- photographer, by the way. So we've got all these beautiful photos, but he's never in any of them. But when the baby was born, the midwife was like, would you like me to take a photo? And he was like, of course. So we've got one photo, which is... Me, new baby, seconds old, father there, beautiful photo, exhausted, blah. Could have cropped out the man stitching up my vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't. I mean, you know, it's important to be real and remember things. (laughs) They are. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this will be, sorry, but... It, it heals. It heals. <laughs> I love the way when you just shared that crab picked up her phone like she's gone to oh, your sorry. Instagram to see. No, it's a shot of CPAC. Right. <laughs> I'm texting for a reason that will become apparent shortly, you um, asshole. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got many things. I don't know. There's just so much. Like, there's just so much that I want to say about, like, the, the whole – because I was never – it was never part of the plan. And I love her very much, but it, it's hard. I'm learning very fast that it um, – even when it's good, it's hard. Yes. You know? And personally, and I was saying this just in case anyone hears this and it's like, well, I found the first six months fucking terrible. <laughs> really bad. Like now, eight out of 10. People go, what's it like being a mum? I go, eight out of 10. Overall, she's 10 out of 10, always has been. But the experience at the start, two out of 10. And I remember being in parents' group and they just, because it's a weird thing as well, because you can't Ugh. say bad things about it because you, I'm so aware of how, many, how much of a gift it is and how lucky I am. But so you can't say it because you don't want to seem ungrateful. But at the same time, you don't want to gloss over and say how wonderful it is because there might be people struggling who don't say it. But in parents' group, right, I remember them, they kept using the same words, which were tricky. <laughs> the newborn stage is tricky. They can be quite fussy sometimes in the newborn stage. And I went, <laughs> and she went, sorry, what? And I went, I just think the tricky is a bit of an understatement word for what's going on. And she said, what word would you use? And I said, hellscape. <laughs> I said, fussy is ordering dressing on the side, right? What's going on in my house is there's a demon hell blob that is screaming directly into my soul that I can feel on a cellular level. <laughs> And I have had no sleep, which is an actual torture, and my hormones are crashing, and I have stitches in my vagina, and I've been waiting out for five days for the most high-stakes poo of my life. (laughs) And she went, oh, it sounds tricky. I'm like, yeah. Sorry, I haven't been in front of a crowd in a long time. I mean, I love I need to recommend that you go to level five, like, second booth from the left for reasons that I'll explain later, but, like, it'll be fine. Um... So anyway, so, so that's where we're at. So she's lovely yeah. and she's good. And she's in childcare now, which is the greatest. Just a bit, yeah, just a little and bit. Yeah, like once you've got over the constantly having gastro because... Yeah, we haven't had gastro like, yet because I told you this. Yeah. I was sick when, we, when you asked me to do the show. She'd just gotten sick for the first time and you were, you were like, you'll have gastro. You'll shit yourself on stage. They were, they were like, don't worry. But that's it's okay because sales has done that. You did, you're like, it's very on brand for the show if you shit yourself. And I'm like, great. I mean, hope not, but 
No, we haven't had gastro yet. Can't wait. Hopefully at Christmas. So to get out, so to, to be able to come to our show tonight, you've left it with a babysitter. I have. And what's the name of the babysitter? It's quite evening? fraught having a babysitter because this is, you know, that thing. It's your heart outside your body, isn't it? She's a tiny creature. She needs to be protected, looked after at all time. You want a babysitter who is a grown-up, who's responsible, who's trained, who's qualified, who knows what they're doing. I couldn't find anyone like that, so I asked Luke McGregor. <laughs> Yeah, that Luke McGregor. If you're like, who? What? No. Yeah. Is he good with kids? No. <laughs> That's a lie. He's suddenly a step... He's a stepdad. He's a stepdad now, but not a baby. Yeah, but those kids are out of the danger zone, Yeah. Right? I mean, he's been really trying. This is the first time he's, he's solo, which is why I have my phone with me. Um, but he's been staying with me for a week, which has been lovely. Uh, and he's been training. Like, he's really serious. He's like, okay, where does the diaper go? He says diaper, though, which is weird. I'm like, it's nappy. Oh, where does it go? I, I I'm heard like, that as where the shit comes out. That's go for that bit. I heard that as where does the dummy go, which is a dummy. More I question really. He's been about all the drills. Like, come on, EJ. Oh, he's shit at peekaboo though. We did peekaboo, and I was like, where's Luke? Hello. I'm like, dude. The line is in the game. It's peekaboo. Oh, also, when I had the baby, when I had the baby, like hours after I'd had the baby, he called me. I didn't answer the phone. And then he texted me and he goes, I was just calling because I thought you might be bored. <laughs> this is what I mean. Beautiful, wonderful, kind, loving, my best friend. But does it know things about babies? <laughs> well, in a, in a happy turn of events, we've actually arranged to... FaceTime Luke to see how things are going this evening. I mean, this could end really badly. <laughs> it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Have you called him? Have we got him? Well, I think that we're in a position, thanks to all the people called Jake who work at Hamer Hall who are brilliant with technology, and thank you, all of you Jakes, and even you sub-Jakes who aren't called Jake. Um, I'm just using that term for economy. Um, we are in a position to <laughs> FaceTime Luke McGregor okay. looking after your kid at your house. <laughs> okay. So, so let's bring it. I asked him oh, if it was all please. right. Here and he's like, oh, she'll be in bed by then, I'm like. <laughs> it, was a bit, it was quite fraught leaving the house, I'll right. be honest. Um, Who was upset? Luke, <laughs> you, her? Like, she, she was upset. He seemed okay. He was like, get out. And I'm like, okay, that seems good. Oh, not answering his Wow, not answering. <laughs> They've gone I did out. text, he said he was ready to receive, but like... Is this a new reality show? Guess who's yeah. looking after your baby? Yeah. <laughs> is it Carl Stefanovic? Yeah. <laughs> is it Koshy? I don't know who it is. This is your Polish <laughs> How big is my head, huh? Quite big. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's fairly big. Um, Hi, baby. Hey, mate. <laughs> I swear to God, if this interview wakes up the baby, I will oh. be furious. <laughs> Tell me about it. Now, I know exactly how much vodka was in the bottle before I left. Yes, I apologize. It's there, like, I don't know if this works. Can you see it? <gasps> oh. Yes. Oh, so How's it been going? you a baby stalker going, like, the whole time. I ended up having to knock them out with a small mallet, but, uh, no, they're, they're, they're great. <laughs> How's the evening been? I can't tell if the audience is laughing or booing at that. So. <laughs> they've, they've all called the police. Okay, right, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> has it been a smooth evening or has it been going? No, they got up a few times and um, I, had to, I fed him the bottle, but it's good, it's, it's practice dadding. So, um, and then eventually, 
At about 8.35, the baby said, I love you more than Celia. So that was lovely to hear. <laughs> that was, no! They made it all worth it. Yeah, which is, they don't normally speak full sentences, so it was quite a shock, but it was really, it was, it was beautiful. Also, he's not the dad, by the way. Just, I just realised, if that wasn't clear. What? <laughs> so, Luke, we hear you've been in training all week for this moment. What's been the, the hardest part of the training? The last thing I was asked to babysit was a girl I had a crush on's goldfish in year eight and they all died so it was it was just nerve-wracking. <laughs> just how long were you in custody of the goldfish out of interest? Three days. Three days. Well good glad I booked that trip to the Gold Coast for the weekend then <laughs> have fun and so I'm guessing the relationship with the goldfish owner didn't work out or no no you're not yeah. still I mean, together. Her loss, uh, so um, no, no, we it didn't work out. They are coming to um, my wedding party, um, uh, just so I can apologise. Um, <laughs> which is in, he's having a wedding party, which I was at your wedding, so I, I feel sort of hurt that it wasn't enough. The party, oh, yeah. the wedding. Yeah. I first of all, I apologise that um, to Annabelle and Lee that you're not coming. Um, <laughs> wow, well, I didn't want to say anything, but now that you've raised it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please come. Uh, it's tomorrow. Um, uh, I'm also yeah, looking at two thousand people who are very excited about yeah. the invite. <laughs> oh, what was that guy, Corey or whatever? He had like four hundred. Oh, people Corey in his house. Worthington. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna be, that's yeah, gonna that's be right. Corey that's Worthington. Be Did anyone else expect to hear that reference no, tonight? I that love is it. amazing. A true hero. <laughs> I hope you've invited the Tick Tip Boom Girl. Oh, uh, yeah. Remember her? She's yeah. great yeah. too. They're, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're all coming. Um, it's going to be great. Anyway, the, I'm busy, so there's <laughs> no need to get a uh, vegetarian meal for me, Luke. That's all good. Um, I have a question about the industrial arrangements here. Like, I'm just, I'm just, sorry, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to work out how much anxiety to feel. Is my head the size of, say, two basketball players standing on top of each other? Or? It's bigger yeah. than that, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. really huge. Yeah. Can you take a photo of me? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And look, for scale, Celia just gave her phone to a lady in the front row for scale. Yeah. So can I tell you, but this is pretty much the scale of Luke's head when he won the Logie, though. So yeah. just... <laughs> <laughs> so like, you I'm look good. You look really good. Stop Thanks. showing people my dirty washing behind you, though. But you, you, you look, look great. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm a working mum, everybody. <laughs> so what I want to know is, I mean, so babysitter pay rates are really a vexed question, Shut right? Up. So Annabelle, I mean, if the kid is 13, it's like 13 ten dollars an hour. And then if you're in Sydney, if the kid is then 20-something, it's like $180 million an hour. More if they have a first aid certificate. Less if they have a Logie. I don't know. Like, how does it work? So we well, have a babysitter. Oh, sorry, Luke, go. No, well, I agreed to do it for free on the condition that Celia changed the baby's name to Luke. So. <laughs> Her name's Eleanor. Eleanor, No. <laughs> a little Luke. I'm trying to find a way to get it. Little <laughs> Luke. Um, we have a baby. We have a babysitter that we use occasionally, and it is. And I don't know. I don't want to tell you because I think you're going to gasp. But I'm going to find out. I'm being ripped off. It's thirty-five dollars an hour. Sorry, what? 
It's third. Is that not? I think that's what? about. No, Are you getting a about right. bikini oh, wax yeah. in, in that deal or something? Like <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's what I. No, that's, that's yeah. about right. Yeah. So what? Yeah. But I think hang that's on. Right. You hire my daughter to look after your kids, <gasps> yeah. and she only gets fifteen bucks an hour. So, like, sorry, can I where's the other please? twenty going? Everyone, wow. I just need to. I, I and don't she's know got a first aid certificate. Annabelle, I don't. I don't know what default face to make right now while I'm listening to you guys talk. I, my, it's. I don't know how big my face is, but I'm feeling like it's really big. <laughs> Sorry. I, look, I could probably help you out, Luke, from when my I used to have to have, like, what I would call, like... Or are you going to use that face? Or <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll mix it up. <laughs> On, there you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> look, all I would Let say, me... Luke, is shoot down, shoot down. <laughs> Luke, when I was on 7.30, I used to have to have a face because I could never be quite sure when the camera might be on my face. Oh, yeah. And mm. so you have to have a face that I call pleasant neutral. So can you give us your best pleasant neutral? <laughs> <laughs> it looks really good. You look thanks, great, thanks, mate. Yeah. You look fantastic. <laughs> it's got a yeah. tiny bit busted psycho killer about it, but like, <laughs> like let's go for it. Thank you. <laughs> you I thought I was making pleasant neutral face one night when I was interviewing a celebrity that I, I don't like very much, and one of my friends took a screenshot of the of the TV when it did a cutaway of me, and she said, "I don't think that your your face is as neutral as <gasps> what you imagine it to be," and. <laughs> The actual face was something like. <laughs> you you got to tell us the celebrity. You gotta... <laughs> yeah, you do. No, no I can't. I can't. I, I won't. But yeah, I know. I'm being a bit of a. Always yeah. delivers on the yarn. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine someone that you think I would make that face for, and it probably is that person. Celia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> Carl Stefanovic. <laughs> I don't know why his name is in my head. <laughs> Um, Luke, you've been a massively good sport to let us FaceTime your gigantic head. Yeah, you're also show. massive. You've also just been massive, full stop. Yeah, can, I, can I just close by... <laughs> can I just close by telling the story about when I first yes. met Luke McGregor? Because I can't believe that's when you met... Yes, only yeah. recently, actually, um, last May at the Sydney Writers' Festival, because... And, like, a bit of background is... You love it when I give a bit of background, but, like... <laughs> So, I am a great admirer of the writer Amy Thunig. Um, you've heard me talk on the podcast before about their memoir, Tell Me Again, which is, I recommend to anybody. And um, when we uh, were planning the Sydney Writers' Festival Great Debate uh, last year, Amy agreed because I rang Amy and I sort of bullied Amy into it, um, to come on and debate on the team against me. And um, during this conversation, Amy was saying like, oh, you know, talking about work things and Luke, my husband, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. I'd seen pictures of Amy's wedding day and Amy looked so incredible that I didn't quite, I'm sorry, Luke, notice who she was marrying. <laughs> That's okay. And, and I'm like, well, your like, husband, Luke, obviously works in the entertainment industry. And eventually I just went, sorry, who are you married to? She's like, Luke McGregor. And I'm like, oh, oh, God, this is the most ABC thing ever when you don't know that somebody's married to somebody else. My and head like, was a lot uh, smaller in the photos. Right? <laughs> right? Anyway, but Amy came along to this debate and they were like, oh, my God, the most devastating debate. I've never been destroyed 
at that molecular level in a debate ever before. It was like me and um, Tom Ballard and, oh my God, Amy spoke third and just abs just decimated us in a way that was so catastrophic that it became pleasurable. And <laughs> this is at the Sydney Town Hall. And in the end, I was just laughing, thinking this is the most incredible evisceration I've ever experienced. And it's actually turned around to become quite fun. And um, there was a heckler in the front row who was, for some reason, not removed by Town Hall security, but was yelling things like, vaccinations are poison and mm. then stuff about like it was just random really weird heckles throughout all of our speeches um and then afterwards luke mcgregor who was in the front row wearing a very chunky cable knit cardigan i remember this <laughs> in an oatmeal um color i think i'm right aren't i yeah. luke yeah. and yeah. so um i kind of like went down the front the front row and this guy was still carrying on and luke decided to fight him <laughs> but in a sort of like comedian fight thing like like a comedian in a cardigan fighting a crazy person and so i arrived next to amy while luke was actually grappling with this person wow and swinging a sort of like I, I mean a sort of ineffective punch I think we should we could probably agree Luke, but it was definitely committed like you were definitely laying one on for wifey and oh, there was no no punching I was trying to like there was sort of like a pull him away it was um, more of a slapping or and then I try to uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Street Fighter but a Hadouken it's where you throw a fireball um, <laughs> can I just I remember this. I was sitting on the couch because a lot of dramatic stuff Luke Maria tells me in text. He told me he was engaged via text. And I was like, the fuck? Anyway. But I was like, I wonder because I knew you were going to, because he was coming. Mate, end of text, full stop. I'm like, this is always a great start. I got into a fight last night. <laughs> a real one. <laughs> I'll tell you tomorrow. They were heckling at Amy's Great Debate. And I wrote, the fuck? <laughs> Are you hurt? Can't wait for story, blah, blah, blah. But can wait anyway and then told the stuff. And then I love that you also told me, uh, I said, why didn't they get him out sooner? Which sounds like the weird thing that he was apparently heckling the whole time. But Amy was last and then he was yelling stuff at them and you went, fuck, I'm getting this guy out of my own. I know. Oh. I know. So dramatic and excellent. Um, uh, and I said, will they take him out? And Luke said, they tried to. The guy refused to leave. He told security, carry me. And then Luke said, luckily, I was wearing my fighting cardigan. <laughs> 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 and I wrote back, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a pretty good back and forth between us. Luke, I think that was... <laughs> There's some great banter that no one will ever see. It so we'll, great. We'll release and, it as a book one day. And Amy, your wife told me, because I called them and was like, tell me this story, because apparently the stage was sort of high, so the audience couldn't really see what was oh, going yep. on. Mm -hmm. And Amy said that them watching the audience in waves go, oh, shit, there's a fight. Is that Luke McGregor? <laughs> like, <it was> like... <laughs> and by that stage, for some reason, I was down, like, in the front row, kind of, like, next to this... <laughs> cardigan punch situation yeah. and also next to Amy who was sort of I think a bit thrilled of course. but also yeah. yeah and so the oatmeal arm went out <laughs> with the punch and then this is this there's is the what, haymaker and the oatmeal arm this is That's what, what cemented it as 
literally one of the most magical moments of my life. I mean, like, I actually treasure this moment so much <laughs> um, because Luke threw the punch and I think Amy was like, no, babe, or something. And then he turned around and he went, oh, Annabelle, lovely show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so polite what? And violent, oh. and also encased in oatmeal cable net. Wow. It was what, what, pe what people don't know is that I hired that guy to centre myself at Amy's debate. So <laughs> it's a real misogynist move. Well, this oh. is the reason why I'm here in Luke's babysitting because he's actually not allowed to be near audiences anymore. Yeah, he's yeah. too sure. volatile. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so many hecklers in this crowd. <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed out as long as I don't wear the cardigan. <laughs> um, well, should we, should we let We'll release you. Luke go. We'll, we we mean, will, as they say, relieve oh, the babysitter. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, That's the worst thing. The Stop it. <laughs> Luke, <laughs> thank you so much for letting us FaceTime you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you Luke. Everyone. Bye, bye. <laughs> um, do I, do I, I should probably go now. 35 well. bucks an hour, though. Yeah, is that normal? I don't know. I mean, Absolutely. you pay it. I'm like, shh, whatever. Sure, please. <laughs> I love how Celia is like, look, I should probably go. I, just, I go <laughs> too now, right? She just wants to I get that. No, 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 no. I'm having, I hate that it's the cliche, but it's really nice to be out of the house. <laughs> like, it's like, you know. I love no, it. we, we will let you go. You have been an absolute sport for coming out. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry, you wanted to say something else. Oh, yeah, yes, I was just yes. going to say, because you're talking about podcasts yeah. and I rarely listen to them because baby, but because childcare, sure. and I just have to, because I love, it's I actually went on to some things thing to do. that you say. So I found one that I really loved, which was called Sweet Bobby. Has anyone heard that? It's like catfishing um, for anyone who likes that kind of scam stuff. And Sweet it is Bobby. Sweet Bobby. Bobby. Sweet Bobby. Okay. But at the end of Sweet Bobby, I got pitched another one and I was like, I love that. So I'll listen to this. And it's called Hooked on Freddy. Ooh. Ah. Has anyone heard of it? It is about in the 1980s when there was a scandal in a small town in the UK where a guy, there was a dolphin that used to swim in the waters of this town and it became famous and there was a man who was accused of sexually interfering with the dolphin. And it was, it was like huge news and there was a court case and stuff. And it starts out, you're like, well, this is kind of funny and <laughs> weird and I'm into that. And then by the end, like there's sort of a, a saturation level of how many times you can hear the phrase wanked off a dolphin. And you're like, I'm, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm part of evidence? the problem now. Does the dolphin <laughs> give, the dolphin evidence? give evidence? Yes, they said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is Freddy the dolphin Freddy's or the dude? Freddy's the dolphin. Okay, right. Hooked on Freddy. So okay, hooked on Freddy. You'll, feel, you'll be like, oh, this seems fun. And then you start feeling weird a bit of the way <laughs> through it. But it's real. If you look at it, it was like 1987 and it was on the front cover of the, you know, oh the, 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 the mirror and the, that kind of stuff. But um, well, so if you take one thing from tonight's show, <laughs> take dolphin wanking. Something yeah. I did not I couldn't know. I could leave without a, telling you. Someone, I need to share it. It was a um, thing. But thank you so much for having no, me. No, thank Pleasure. you. <laughs> See you next time. Giving tonight a porpoise. <laughs> Silly Pagola. Oh my God. How long have we been sort of dolphin wanking about having Celia Pagola um, involved in anything that we do? A, a long, long time. time. Um, now, 
Yeah, this is the cleaning up bit. Where the cleaning goes, up, the mopping for up. For God's bit. sake, it's nine twenty-one. What the hell? We're doing. We forgot to mention at the top two book signings outside today. So if you want to get a, a book signed or buy a Christmas gift for somebody, we'll be in the foyer signing. Yeah, it'll books. be like very cursory eye contact from Lee Sales because <laughs> it's nine twenty-one. She'll be like, Hack. "Can I just quickly? Um, I won't go through every last thing that we wanted to talk about. We'll have to save some for another time. Can I just mention? couple of one one thing and then read one thing um I am reading this I started you know when you discover something that's a series but you're late to it and then you realize oh god this is fantastic um the Thursday Murder Club I've never heard of it like I literally never heard of that so I kept as I've been going around doing my book signings for storytellers I keep seeing on all the bestseller shelves this book this new book by Richard Osman which I forget the name of the latest one but I was thinking gee that book is everywhere it's so popular and so then I thought I wonder what the it's clearly a, I asked someone they said it's serious I went back to the first book and read it so it's a crime thing it's like a crime thing it's, so it's like the barefoot investor of crime it's so it's absolute heaven it's the the premise and the idea is so good which uh, Richard Osman apparently got by visiting his mother I think in a retirement village which is it's oldies in a retirement village who um it's it, the premise is old people kind of get ignored and overlooked but actually they all had very interesting careers and were amazing at things and now they just happen to be old and so there's this group of oldies in this retirement home one's a retired MI5 agent one's a former nurse one's a former psychiatrist and one's a former union boss um and it kind of the the first book starts with um the the retirement village is being extended and there's a kind of row among the builders and, and someone gets murdered and they kind of solve it. And then the second book starts with the woman who's the retired spy. Her ex-husband shows up in one of the other villas and he's actually decided it's good cover to be in this place because he's in the middle of an operation. And it goes from there. The second book I'm actually listening to is an audio book, which I almost never do. Um, but a friend said to me, it's the audiobooks are read, read by Leslie Mannion and it makes them so pleasurable. And I must say, it's absolute heaven listening to her read it. The characters are all so beautiful. It's funny. It holds your attention. Um, yeah, it's deservedly a best-selling, very successful series. God, Love I it. I constantly feel like I read all the time and I've just never heard of that book. That's, Can, what's wrong with me? I wanted to ask you about, because I know you've read something else that I keep seeing everywhere, which I've not read it, which is Yellow Face. Oh. Yeah, so what's yeah. that? Yeah, so I downloaded that a while ago and thought, that looks good, I'm going to read that. Um, and then I didn't for a bit and then suddenly I did and then I couldn't stop reading it. So it is one of my favourite things, which is a novel about literary envy. I mean... I love a literary envy plot. I really do. Um, I really liked that Martin Amos novel, The Information, which is all about, as far as I can tell, now that he's dead, I can say it, his literary envy of Julian Barnes. Um, and it's so vicious that it's <laughs> thoroughly enjoyable. And Yellow Face, um, which is um, published, I think, in the last year or like it's still very famous which is why I'm giving myself a slap on the back that I've, I've got to it already because normally I leave it for 10 or so years um, so it's by Rebecca Kwang and the story is the the narrator is a sort of like published author but first novel kind of you know flatlined a little bit little bit you know underwhelming and their friend from college 
is this young woman called uh, Athena Liu. I think her name is Athena Liu. Um, and she is one of these young writers who's got this, like, seven-figure deal whilst at Harvard or whatever and then sailed out and written this smashing first novel. She's sort of beautiful, accomplished, well-travelled and, you know, is essentially everything that this friend wants to be. And I'm not giving anything massive away here because it happens pretty early. Um, they're sort of nominally friends and they go out for dinner and drinking and the famous one dies in a sort of accidental misadventure. And the overlooked friend is then in a position to acquire an unpublished manuscript that she knows that her friend has typed in hard copy because that's the way she likes to work on a vintage Corona <laughs> typewriter. Oh my God, how annoying. And, um, and so she goes from there. Oh, that sounds good. And it becomes this A, super sort of viscous and twisty tale. It's full of suspense. But it's also um, about, it's really deeply about the idea of who is allowed to tell certain stories because the dead author has Chinese heritage and the subject matter of the novel is the experience of Chinese conscripts in World War I. And the woman who eventually publishes the book is not Chinese, but... She changes her name to sound a bit Chinese. Oh, oh. anyway. Oh, that sounds great. It's um, it's it's a terrific piece of work. But I was I was reading it on like an e-reader, which is lucky because um, I went on a holiday to Japan, which was a thrice cancelled trip from like 2019 or something. It was supposed to be Jeremy's 50th birthday present anyway um and my children were like you can't read a book called yellow face and i'm like oh my god like so I, but i was you know um it is an incredibly gripping book and as i say massively entertaining because it's about literary jealousy and it reminded me of a book that i read last summer which i think I kind of scribbled notes about, but I don't think I ever told you about, which is a book called The Plot. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's by a writer called um, Jean Hanf Korolitz, K-O-R-E-L-I-T-Z. It's called The Plot. And the story of this book is, and it's kind of like a bewitching premise, this sort of, again, a novelist, a young sort of handsome guy who's published a novel and had a blaze of publicity and then published a really piss-weak second novel and then got a bit, you know, defensive and anxious and then started teaching at, like, summer writing courses and getting all ambitious yes. and weird and also just really detesting all the students he encounters. Yes. And one student says to him, I have the greatest That's plot right. yes. for a novel that you could possibly imagine. It's a surefire winner. Yes. It is incredible. Yeah. We've talked and about this book, yeah. the teacher is... Oh, we have, we, have, we, we have, have talked yeah. about it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. I really ate that with a spoon read. too because, yeah. A, right. I was sort of, you know, I'm committed to literary envy, but also <laughs> I... 
was like, well, what is this plot? Like, <laughs> what is this surefire plot? And if you were writing a novel, the conceit of which was that there was the perfect plot at the centre of it, why would you not just write that novel? But that's <laughs> something that I yeah. struggled with. But good. actually, yeah. I mean, good point. it was... Good point. Um, okay, I, there's one thing I just want to read to finish just because I thought it was so oh, poignant. this is the wind-up now. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the wind-up. But just as the kind of pre-wind-up, has anyone listened to Kylie Minogue's new album, Tension? Oh, it's so good. She's done it again. When we walk out Surely tonight, Caroline's listened to it. Caroline O'Donoghue, have you listened to the new Kylie Minogue album? Oh, okay. Uh, when we walk out tonight, it's a song from the new album, which when I heard, it's called 10 Out of 10. And the chorus is listing this like energy, 10, touch, 10. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, please God, let it say chat, 10. Sadly, it doesn't, but you'll hear it on the way out. You'll, you'll hear it. And just in your own mind, imagine that it's saying chat. Because <laughs> it would have been perfect. Anyway, Kylie. How many seconds did you like really remain on tender hooks? And where were you when you were listening to this uh, song? The, like, were you by the at end the of gym the... or were you like on the <laughs> bus? Or? By the end, by the end of the chorus, when the dude goes ten out of ten, I realised oh, I think he cycled through all the words it's that he's going to say. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But yeah, it's it's sad that the. That was a missed opportunity. Um, now, <laughs> Kylie reminds me of Nick Cave. Last time we did this show, I read something from Nick Cave's book. And so I thought, fitting tradition, I'm just going to read something else from Nick Cave because I'm a very big fan of the Red Hand Files. And this kind of felt like... Yeah, because it's reliably chirpy, usually. It's reliably <laughs> chirpy, I know. No, but it's, it's a real it, high point. It felt like something good for the moment. And so, and I think he's a really wise person. So I'm just going to read it out to end the show. If that's all right with you, if there's nothing else you've got to add. <laughs> I love that, like, but what if I have something else to add after well, I add listen it, to it? add it now and then I'll end it with Nick. <laughs> that's no fun. Like, that's, that's very antiseptic. Like, um, I would like to record that I have nothing further to contribute. <laughs> I must conserve my voice, uh, as you'll understand, um, in case I maintain stress in my buttocks again. Um, and I would release you to read your Nick Cave thing and I'll invite you to just love the time that we've spent with Celia Picola and her underpants and Luke McGregor and her and sleeping we'll, child. And we'll see you at the book signing. Okay, this was from Nick's The Red Hand Files and so it's people who write in with a letter and they ask for advice. And so the letter is... Dear Nick, I am 20, high school graduate in my gap year and I find it pointless to pursue anything in this bizarre and temporary world that is so much against my values in every way possible. I believe I'm speaking for a generation here. I am asking with the biggest admiration, what would you do in my slash our situation? L from Frankfurt in Germany. Dear L. You are right in describing the world as bizarre and temporary. It is indeed a strange and deeply mysterious place, forever changing and remaking itself anew. But this is not a novel condition. Our world hasn't only recently become bizarre and temporary. It's been so ever since its inception, and it will continue to be such until its end, mystifying and forever in a state of flux. The same can be said for our values. They too can be temporary and exist in a state of flux. If my experience is anything to go by, the values that you hold sacred now may change and be considerably different to those you hold dear in 10 years' time and be almost unrecognisable when compared to those you possess when you reach your later years. 
You may also find that some of the values that you perceive now as incontestable truths will be looked at with suspicion, even contempt, by the generations that come after you, a humbling realisation if ever there was one. In the past, for example, an older person giving advice to someone younger was a trusted value for all, but in the present age, it's sometimes viewed in a different light altogether. Still, Elle, you did ask, and so to the question, what you and your generation can do in order to live fulfilling lives in a bizarre and temporary world that does not share your values. Well, I would not suggest for a moment that you change those values, because even though values evolve and grow, they are, at any given time, a crucial part of our nature and critical to the development of the world. My suggestion would be to instead look to two qualities that will improve your life immeasurably. The first is humility. Humility amounts to an understanding that the world is not divided into good and bad people, but rather it's made up of all manner of individuals, each broken in their own way, each caught up in the common human struggle, and each having the capacity to do both terrible and beautiful things. If we truly comprehend and acknowledge that we're all imperfect creatures, we find that we become more tolerant and accepting of others' shortcomings, and the world appears less dissonant, less isolating, less threatening. The other quality is curiosity. If we look with curiosity at people who do not share our values, they become interesting rather than threatening. As I've grown older, I've learned that the world and the people in it are surprisingly interesting, and that the more you look and listen, the more interesting they become. Cultivating a questioning mind, of which conversation is the chief instrument, enriches our relationship with the world. Having a conversation with someone I may disagree with is, I have come to find, a great life-embracing pleasure. L, my advice then is to try and make more use of humility and curiosity. These attributes have a softening effect on our sometimes inflexible and isolating value systems. They allow us to remain true to our temporary selves, but fluid and playful in our dealings with this strange and ever-changing world. Thank you. Profundity 10. Thank you. Out of ten. Body, ten. Touch, ten. 